Today on Blue 58, this is it. The last pre-draft podcast. What are the Packers actually going to do on Thursday night and beyond? We will get to that. But first, we need to take a quick detour to the defensive line. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I am jazzed to get to this episode. You know why? The pre-draft process is over. As one of my former coaching compatriots used to say, the hay is in the barn. We're done here. All that's left is to let it happen. we got to talk about defensive line, but we're going to get to um, that, and we're going to get to that before we talk about what we think the Packers are going to do in the draft itself. But I'm excited to be here. It is Tuesday night. 48 hours from now, we'll be sitting down together to watch and see what the Packers do in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft the first real action of the 2021 season. Before we get to defensive line, I have to make a correction, not really so much a correction, but an update to the last episode. Got so excited near the end of talking about the safety group that I forgot to mention something very important about the last prospect we talked about, his name. We were talking about Trayvon Morig out of uh, Texas Christian. A couple listeners put that together from context, but I, I evidently forgot to say his name. Weird things happen. That's who I was talking about, so sorry if that left you a little bit confused. We will try not to do that this time around. All right, defensive line. we got to talk about some defensive linemen. Supposedly, this is a weak defensive line class. I can see it a little bit, but there are some prospects here. Finding defensive linemen. Same as edge rushers. Looking at basically the same methodology, lowering one threshold a little bit. We're looking for athletes, and we're looking for guys who were productive. So we're looking for athletes who tested at 8.0 or higher in relative athletic score, and we're looking at a production ratio of 1.0 or higher. That was a little bit lower than what we look for for edge rushers. I think that's okay because we are looking for a little bit different skill set on the defensive line. Though, if you're not getting pass rushing value from your defensive linemen, what are you doing? That's what you need them for first and foremost. If you're going to be playing in the front seven, you've got to be able to get after the quarterback. So those two thresholds, Give us three tiers. We got guys who are productive and athletic. They hit on both uh, relative athletic score and production ratio. Guys that are athletic but not productive. Guys that are hitting on just athletic score, the athletic score. We want guys that are athletes more than just producers, I think. If you're looking to project a guy, especially late-round pick, I don't just want some high-effort, try-hard guy, though that's great. Love the effort and intensity, guys. If you're looking at a prospect, especially a guy you're taking a day three or using a day three pick on, we want some upside. It's a lot harder to find upside with guys that are not supremely good athletes. And finally, we've got tier three guys that are productive but not athletic, guys that hit on production ratio but not relative athletic score. So where does that get it? Tier one, uh, we start with our productive and athletic guys, beginning with Davion Nixon out of Iowa. 6'3", 305, relative athletic score of 838 and a production ratio of 131. I like that he's pretty much got ideal three technique size. Uh, this is going to be your pass rushing defensive tackle. Packers need a guy like that, especially with going to a more one-gap attacking scheme under Joe Barry. We think, at least. That's what he says. I don't like that Nixon only has two real years of experience. He started his college journey at Western Illinois, moved to Iowa. He redshirted, then played his redshirt sophomore and redshirt junior years there. You got to wonder if he's kind of like a Montrevious Adams type guy, a tall-ish, light-ish athlete 
good at single move pass rushing, but not much else. Uh, Dane Brugler says he projects as a one gap penetrator with starting ability. Pro Football Focus goes a little bit deeper deeper than that. They say, quote, your final evaluation of Nixon as a prospect is going to depend a lot on what tape you watch of him. If you catch the Northwestern game where he had four sacks and six run stops, you might think he's a first rounder. If you catch his Minnesota game where he had two hurries and no run stops, you might not even want to draft him on day two, end quote. Harsh words, but that's kind of par for the course for the def- this defensive line class. There's a lot to like about certain guys, but almost every every guy in this class has significant things going against him as well. Next up is Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech. Listed at six foot four and 278 pounds, did weigh in a little bit heavier at his pro day up at 284. Not a lot, though. Tested at an eye-popping 9.96 in his relative athletics or his production ratio a bit lower, but just fine for alignment at 1.18. I love the production and athleticism. Uh, he played as a 3-4 base end in, uh, in at Louisiana Tech, bumped inside occasionally. Uh, so not necessarily exactly what the backers are probably looking for. And that kind of bleeds into what, what's not to like about him. Uh, is he an edge? Is he just a small defensive lineman? 278 pounds, even 284 pounds is pretty light. You're only about 10 pounds more or so than Zadarius Smith, who granted is big for an edge and does bump inside sometimes, but that brings us right back to where he were, where we were. What is Milton Williams exactly? The Pro Football Focus scouting report says, they like how much he's grown over his college career. He's worth a late-round flyer. Uh, Dane Brugler says he protects, uh, projects as a scheme-versatile three-technique or base end. Brugler uses that phrase, and we'll come back to it a couple times in this preview section talking about defensive linemen, scheme-versatile. I think he means that as a compliment. I'm not sure that it is. It sounds like a guy who doesn't really have a job yet. I can do a lot of different things. It sounds like what I said in a lot of job interviews when I was like 23. Okay, I've had like one or two full-time jobs at that point. Well, maybe maybe more like 25. I've had one or two full-time jobs yet. Haven't really found the one that's like, yes, this is it. This is what I want to do forever. This is a job where I want to be for the next 10 or 15 years. So when they ask you, what do you think your strengths are? Well, I can do a little bit of everything. And, you know, my previous jobs have had me do a little bit, a bit of everything. And that was true. But that's not that much of a selling point. If you can come in and say, I doubled my sales year over year each of the last three years that I was in my previous job. Um, I'm also really good at graphic design. Uh, this is a really weird job, but I think you understand where I'm going with it. And uh, I, I really am excellent at detailing cars on top of that. Well, there there really are a bunch of places you can go with that because it's a bunch of things you do really well. If you do a few things pretty good, that's not much of a selling point. You can go a lot of different directions, but you haven't really shown that you can go any one direction either. Christian Barmore rounds out our Tier 1 players. Six foot five, three hundred and ten pounds, most physically imposing, I think it's safe to say, of the guys in tier one out of Alabama. Eight two two relative athletic score production ratio of one point one six. You love the size, you love the athleticism, you love the production. And he did it all at a premier program. Sure he had talent around him, but that's not like they were playing slouches in the SEC either. The knock on him is his inexperience. I don't see it. Um 
747 career snaps, that's not a lot, sure. And I think all you're really seeing there is a lower floor as a result of his inexperience. You're, you're not quite sure if he's going to be consistent long-term, but his athleticism to me gives him a pretty high ceiling. You could see a guy like Christian Barmore either flaming out or just being one of those how-did-everybody-overthink-this type guys just because he hasn't been exposed all that much. He hasn't played all that much, and I don't know if people's opinions on him are really all that substantive. And even a guy like Dane Brugler, who we cite a lot, obviously, kind of falls into that a little bit. He says Barmore comes with obvious risk due to his inexperience. How much of a risk is it? What was he supposed to do at Alabama? Jump over all of the four- and five-star recruits they had ahead of him? No, he redshirted for a year, then he played at a high level for a couple more. Pro Football Focus takes the opposite approach. They say, quote, his only 747 career snaps aren't close to a worry with how impactful he was on them. Take your pick. Your mileage may vary. Tier two, guys that are athletic but not productive. This is a wild bunch, folks. Starting with Jonathan Marshall, maybe the epitome of the group. 6'3", 317, relative athletic score, a scintillating 9.99. His production ratio, an abysmal 0.38. Let's talk about that athleticism, though. The good stuff. 999 is almost unheard of at 317 pounds. Ran a blistering 488 40-yard dash at 317 pounds. That's just hilarious. Threw in 36 reps on the bench just for good measure. Not bad. We often talk about how Yash Nyman might be the most athletic guy in the Packers pound for pound. He's a 981. Less athletic than this guy. And four pounds lighter when he put it up. The bad on Marshall. One and a half sacks in four years of playing time. Reading between the lines in some of his scouting reports, he may have been playing a little bit out of position. Arkansas doesn't seem like they really knew what to do with him, but that could be because he just didn't do a whole lot when he was on the field. They did reportedly play him on the nose a lot, but see what you think about what Pro Football Focus says about him. Their scouting report says, quote, Marshall wears down far too easily over the course of drives and games. There's a lot of patty cake on tape after his initial moves flame out. That's just not how NFL guys who win consistently on the interior are built, end quote. There's one word that comes to mind when I hear a scouting report like that. See if it's the same word for you that it was for me. Got it in your head? Here's what comes to mind for me. Soft. That is the ultimate bad word when it comes to defensive line types, especially the big, tough, mix-it-up-inside defensive linemen. But maybe he's just a little soft, and I hate using that word, but that's kind of what comes to mind. Just something to think about. Bobby Brown. A lot of people in the Power Sweep Discord server like Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M, and it's easy to see why. 6'4", 325, relative athletic score of 982. Not bad, young man. And boy, is he a young man. We'll get to that in a second. Production ratio just 0.59, though, at AM. There is a caveat to that here in a second, and that caveat is this. He's only 20 years old. He's not going to be 21 until August. Won't be able to legally drink when the Packers draft him until after training camp is well underway. People have dinged him for having only one e- real year of production. That kind of sounds like what they said about Christian Barmore, too. But... To push back on that, his unproductive seasons came literally when he was a teenager, playing in the SEC. I can be a little bit forgiving 
for that. There is some upside here, though. Dane Brugler likes him as a developmental tackle. Pro Football Focus kind of takes the flip-flop approach of what we saw with Christian Barmore. They say nose tackle is the one spot where you can least afford someone getting out of their assignment, and Brown does it with regularity. He has rare flexibility and power for only a true junior that gives him a massive leg up. Now he just needs to harness it. Kind of don't think he's going to be a true nose if he ends up with the Packers, so that doesn't concern me all that much. Taquan Graham is next up in Tier 2 out of Texas. He's 6'4", 294, up in the upper 9s, 968 at relative athletic score, and getting close to 1 at .81 on production ratio. Honestly, not too terrible. I wonder, though, if he's a bit of an accumulator. Um, He's got good production, but spread out over several years and played inconsistently um, in terms of the number of games he was on the field for, so it boosts his production ratio a little bit. You also wonder if he's a little bit on the small side. 294 isn't small, but it's hardly too big either. Dean Lowry is listed at 296. And uh, think of how often he looks a little bit on the small side there. Almost every scout you read says he could use a little bit of refinement, so maybe another redshirt type player too. Next up in this tier is Levi Onwazerki out of Washington. 6'3", 288, 873 relative athletics for a .68 production ratio. He was productive from day one, contributor as a freshman, and kept contributing over the course of his time with the Huskies. Never big numbers, though, so that's a bit of a knock on him as well. Pro Football Focus says he's worth a shot on day two. Dane Brugler has an unusual scouting report on him. Says, while calling him active doesn't do him justice, he tends to rush tall and scattered, allowing him to be redirected by blockers. Active is an interesting word. If he's so active, why was he so unproductive? And sometimes guys that are active get a little bit overrated because they move a lot. In the words of John Wooden, never mistake activity for achievement. Ohio State brings us our next product in Tommy Togiai. 6'2", 300 pounds, 858 relative athletics, or a middling production ratio at 0.52. When you talk about what to like with him, like is a good word because there is some to like, not a lot to love. Played a lot at Ohio State. Long-term contributor there. Lots of good but not great stats, too. But that leads to the next question. Why not bigger numbers with that athleticism? And he comes in a little on the light side, too. Listed under 300 pounds at his pro day, as a matter of fact. And nobody really seems to know what to make of him. Uh, Kind of a lot of meh in his scouting report. Um... Seems to project okay. Uh, Brugler says he takes the hard work, always beats talent, mantra to heart, never taking plays off and competing with relentless effort. You could probably make do with a guy like that on day three, should he fall that far. Aleem McNeil out of NC State is up next. 6'2", 3'20", 8'5", relative athletic score, production ratio 0.86, not too bad for a defensive lineman. You want size on the defensive line, 320 pounds is pretty good size. You want production, 0.86 is pretty good for an interior defensive lineman too. Was a freshman All-American, you got to like that. But as far as stuff to not like, not a whole lot. I think with a guy like this, you're pretty much in what you see is what you get territory. 6'2", 320, what do you think that lineman is going to be like? Probably a plugger against the run with some lateral quickness issues. Maybe if he gets it all pointed in one direction, he's a pretty good pass rusher. If you're putting him in a position where he can't do the things that he does well, I kind of think that's on you. 
because you see his athleticism. You see that he can be productive in the right situation as a pass rusher. But if you ask him to do his do too much, you're probably at fault more than he is. That rounds out tier two. Let's head to tier three. Guys that are productive, but not athletic. Right off the bat, we've got an asterisk in Jalen Twyman out of Pittsburgh. 6'2", 290. He tested at a 4'4", relative athletic score, but he may have had an injury at his pro day that affected him throughout testing. He dropped out near the end. Production ratio for his career is a 1.17. Not too bad. Really like that, in fact, as an interior defensive lineman. The knock on Twyman, though, is that he's a little bit undersized. His program weight was 6'2", 290. He measured at 6'1", 302 at his pro day. Either way, not super big. Pro Football Focus likes him as a three technique, but he's a little bit on the less athletic size for a pure three technique in their opinion. Brugler much the same. Next up is another elite name. Add him to our elite name squad, Mustafa Johnson out of Colorado. Another bit undersized guy, six foot two eighty, production ratio of one point one four, a relative athletic score of five six one. You like the producti- productivity, thirteen and a half tackles for loss as a sophomore after a season in JUCO ball. He played right away, arriving at Colorado, and again, an elite name. How much fun to say is Mustafa? I think it's a lot of fun. You might be able to to get that from the way I'm saying it. A lot of fun. His productivity, though, waned the more that he played at Colorado. And again, he is a bit on the small side, came in at 280 pounds at his pro day, despite being listed at 290 uh, for uh, for Colorado. That's like big linebacker size, 280 pounds. Um, Injuries are a bit of a concern there. Had a bad 2019 with injuries. Um, Scouts are on the low end towards uh, Johnson. Um, Brugler says he doesn't have the frame that NFL teams desire. That's pretty obvious at 280 pounds and six feet tall. I think this is probably a miss, but he does hit our threshold, so I threw him in. Finally, Osa Odigizua out of UCLA, and that name is a mouthful. Another smaller guy, 6'1", 282, relative athletic score of 764, asterisk there though because no 40 time. Borderline but not quite elite. Production ratio of 105 though, gotta like that. Gotta like the production with doing it with near elite athleticism. But that size is a huge red flag for me. He's only 8 pounds heavier than Zadarius Smith. That is a big ask at that point for an interior defensive lineman. That probably takes him off the Packers board at this point. But again, we talked about this a little bit with safety. What are you really looking for in the Joe Barry scheme? Does Joe Barry know? I'm not entirely sure yet. I still think they're kind of putting this together on the fly. We talked about this in the the Power Sweeps Discord server a little bit today, talking about what the Packers do at safety, Uh, talking about, the, in fact, the linebacker out of Notre Dame, Owusu Koromoa, One Blue 58 listener asked me, you know, could you think of him as like a supersized version of of Raven Green? And I think we've talked about that even at the time when we were talking about linebackers. And I said, maybe, but uh, we don't really know what the Packers want from that position anymore. Is there even a Raven Green type role 
in this defense next year. I think probably because from what we know about Barry and the Rams and Brandon Graham and Vic Fangio, multiple safeties is a pretty safe guess. But what are those safeties going to do? Are you going to play another hybrid linebacker type role? I don't really know. Here again, though, uh, circling back to Odigizua, uh, Brugler brings out the um, scheme versatility again. He says uh, he has disruptive qualities with his length, power, and quickness, and he shouldn't be scheme-dependent in NFL. Again, that's not really a ringing endorsement to my ears. Shouldn't be scheme-dependent, okay, but what do you do with him then? If he doesn't need the scheme to be successful, what is he? Is he just this unicorn-type player that you can drop in anywhere? Because if you need him to line up and play nose tackle, I'm thinking it's probably not going to work. And if you need him to stand up and be an edge rusher, that seems like it's not going to work either. What what are you doing with him? I think it's it's a fair question. So there's our defensive lineman. We are officially done previewing every position group in this draft. In Tier 1, we've got Davion Nixon, Milton Williams, and Christian Barmore. In Tier 2, we've got Jonathan Marshall, Bobby Brown, Taquan Graham, Levi Owazurki out of Washington, Tommy Togiai, Ali McNeil, and that's it for Tier 2. Tier 3, we've got Jalen Twyman, Mustafa Johnson, and Osa Odigizuwa. Those are our defensive linemen. That concludes our position-by-position look at this draft class. So what are the Packers going to do? That is a good question. We'll take that up in just a second. First, I want to remind you about uh, our Patreon. If you would like to support the work we do here at the Power Sweep, one of the best ways you can do it is by joining our Patreon team, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One of the best benefits you get from being uh, in Our Patreon club is access to our Discord server, which I've mentioned several times here. It's a great place for discussion, and this week we are going to be running, starting tomorrow, a draft predictions contest. If you would like to participate, you've got to be a member there, though. Uh, Semi-valuable prizes may be available to winners there, depending on how people do in the predictions um, go-round. So give that a shot. Join us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep and hang out with us. It's a lot of fun, and you get to chat with Packers fans from all over the world. So what are the Packers actually going to do in this year's draft? Some general thoughts. Overall, I think there is a lot to like in this class. It seems to line up pretty well with what we're generally thinking the Packers probably want or need. There's a lot of depth at offensive line. There's a lot of value to be had at cornerback and receiver. And even if you're looking for some developmental projects on the defensive line or as an edge rusher, you can find some of that too. It does seem like there is a little bit of a drop-off. Things drop off pretty sharply, in fact, uh, at corner. So if you're not getting a corner in round one or round two, it's getting pretty, pretty tough for you after that to get somebody who's on the top end. There is some value beyond that, but it drops off considerably the further down into the draft you get. Also, there's a lot of guys that are not like super studs in this class. I think when looking at receiver in particular, 
while I think this class might be a little bit better than last year, I'm not as convinced that the top end goes as deep as last year's did. I think the best receivers in this class are as good or better than the ones in last year's class, but there just aren't as many of them. There are a lot fewer A, A plus guys than last year. And I think that's pretty true in the draft class as a whole. There's, there's fewer guys that are A to A plus players, but I think on the whole, there are a lot more guys that are in that like somewhere between B plus and B minus range. So you might not get the top end talent, but I wouldn't be surprised if if there was a team out there that figured out a way to come out of this draft with five to six guys that are like a B or better. B, B plus, A minus. You can find a lot of value here. If you stack a lot of picks in the top 100, 150 picks, I think you can do really well. So what does that mean for the Packers? If I'm Brian Gutekunst, I think I'm approaching things in this order. First, I want to see what I can get on the offensive line. It seems to run out of depth the quickest, though if you're picking in the top 40 picks or so, you should do just fine if you want to get a tackle, a guard, or even a center. Don't count on a ton of depth beyond that, but there is some. It might be worth taking a flyer on a guy who is uh, like in in the mold of of what the Packers like to do, converting a tackle to a guard later in the draft. But if you're looking for a tackle, might address that early. Next up, I'm looking at corner. Here's a position where the non-premium guys seem to run deeper. There's two or three really good guys at the top, depending on what you think of Caleb Farley. Then a bunch of guys that are in that A- to B-plus range that go for a while. So offensive line, then cornerback. After that, I'd probably be looking to receiver. Positional value alone puts this behind the other two, but the Packers need to come out of this draft, I think, with at least one receiver, just because they're going to need bodies here sooner or later. They just don't have a lot of guys under team control after the season. Safety would be next up. Kind of a sneaky need, but still a need. We need to see where this fits into Joe Barry's defense, but they do need depth beyond Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos. Next up would be the defensive line. Kind of a soft need at both the defensive line and at edge rusher, but I think it's still there. You could use a fourth guy behind the Smiths and Rashawn Gary, or probably more accurately, we should say, behind Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, and Preston Smith. You probably could use a fourth edge rusher. There, generally speaking, in this draft is a lack of super premium guys. It probably limits you to taking one later. Um... Carlos Basham, a guy that I like, is probably off the Packers board entirely because he's almost 24 years old already. If you were taking him in the first round, he wouldn't be starting his second contract until he's almost 30. That is just not the way the Packers do business. Finally, running back and tight end. Running back, you need a body there. Uh, Maybe they like Patrick Taylor, one of their undrafted free agent finds from last year, but you probably still need somebody beyond that. But it's not a huge priority, at least compared to the other position groups. And then tight end, you need a body there too, I would think, but even less of a priority. So the Packers have options here. Option one is just stand pat and let the pack or let the entire draft come to you. They've got 10 picks. They're sitting at 29, which is not the greatest place to be in the world, but you could do worse. Just let it come to you and let the board fall away where it may. 
The risk here is that you just miss out on a bunch of the guys that are really difference makers in this draft. That was a big part of their thinking in trading up to get Jordan Love last year. Sitting at 26 or whatever it was, 29, I forget, doesn't really matter. And they say, we, we got to go up and get Jordan Love just because there's no value left on the board in this range. That is a risk you run standing pat. But that is probably the most realistic option if you're just looking to see how things play out. Last year, the board broke really poorly for the Packers. There is a much heavier run, I think, on receivers than they anticipated. Once Brandon Ayuk came off the board or was about to come off the board, that sealed it, I think, because I think they really liked him and uh, and could have used him, uh, but that led to the trade-up for Love. If they stand pat, I think there are some good options there. Uh, the website Grinding the Mocks does a good compilation of where guys are going or expected to go based on a thousands of mock drafts. Looking at their projections, if the Packers stay put at 29, Pretty good chance that they're going to have one of these guys available to them. Christian Barmore, Jason Owe, Jamin Davis, Kadarius Toney, Rashad Bateman, Alex Leatherwood. Honestly, pretty good with just about anybody on that list. I'd prefer to go big early, uh, but if it's Kadarius Toney, I wouldn't complain. I like him a lot. Option two for the Packers is to trade up. If the Packers package their two fourth rounders with their first rounder, they can probably get up as high as 29 or so. That's not a huge jump. But if you're looking at a situation like last year where there's just no more value on the board for what you like at that spot, um, you got to go up and get them. If someone falls, then you can also move up and go get them. May not be the best idea in the world. The ROI may not be as good. But if you get a difference maker, that's that's how it pans out. And that's the, the road to success for Jordan Love. If he turns out to be a really good player, well, it doesn't matter what you paid to get him because you've got security at the quarterback position for another decade. It's a bad idea, though, because trading up almost never works out. And I think the Packers could use a robust ga- draft class, like using all 10 picks and keeping as many of them as they can, Given their cap situation next year and in future years, they're just going to need some cheap bodies. Same kind of names available in this range before if they get up to 25, but let's say somebody slides, just pulling a name out of my out of my, the a hat. Uh, some people really like Caleb Farley. I am not one of them, but I see the appeal there. Um, say Micah Parsons drops at linebackers. Say one of the premium offensive tackles drops, Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. You could do worse than trading up and getting one of those guys, though I'm very skeptical of skeptical of Farley's injury history. Option three then leaves us with trading back. Some picks are good, more picks are better. Packers could use more. If they need a robust draft class because they've got salary cap issues coming up and they need some cheap bodies, why not get even more of them? More is almost always better. The bad side of this is that you may lose out on some premium talent. Let's not invoke the name of T.J. Watt, but it's hard to not bring up the name T.J. Watt when you talk about trading back. So what if the Packers did want to trade back? Well, looking at the top of the second round, we've got the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Falcons. Let's look at a a couple potential trades there. Packers could trade with the Jaguars and take 32 and 106 in exchange for 29. That's about even points-wise on the trade value charts. 106 is the first pick of the fourth round, which is never a bad place to be. 
because uh, people like to, well, you've got more time to talk about trades at that point. And as the third round comes to an end, you've got an entire day to think about what you want to do, starting with the first pick in the fourth round. Packers want to trade with the Jets. Here's a potential thing that may work. The Packers get 34 and 86, with the, which the Jets have uh, from Seattle. Uh, the Jets are paying a little bit of a premium here, but they also have two third rounders, and giving up 86 still leaves them with a third rounder. That may make them willing to give up a little bit more. It's not super uneven, so maybe there's somebody the Jets really like there, and the Packers can get some premium value there. The Packers do a deal with Atlanta. They could get 35 and 108. They're coming down a little bit on the negative side again here, but that's a high two and a high four. Getting a little bit more creative, looking towards the middle of the second round, the Packers could try to do a deal with the Dolphins, who have a couple second-round picks. Packers could trade 29 for picks 50, 81, and 156. They're a little bit behind in this one, too. And this may be a little bit too far of a move back. Their first pick wouldn't be until 50 if they did it this way. But the Packers would then have 50, 62, and 156 in addition to their third and two fourth round picks. That's quite a bit of value towards the mid-round of the draft or the middle rounds of the draft. They could also then collect those two seconds and go back up leaving them with their third multiple force and now an extra fifth. And then if they wanted to move up back into the fourth or third round again, you've got more ammunition to do so. Just some questions there, just some options there. So what are they going to do? If you want to hang a name on it, the more and more I've thought about it, the more I think it's going to be an offensive or defensive lineman, depending how the board breaks. But I think if Christian Barmore is there, they probably take him. I think if Alex Leatherwood is there, they probably take him too. At defensive back, I like Asante Samuel or Greg Newsom. At receiver, I like Rashad Bateman or Kadarius Toney. I predict that over the course of the draft, the Packers are going to take multiple offensive linemen, and I think they are going to take a running back at some point. They need one, and this is the draft where they're going to add another one. So that's it. That brings us to the end of the draft preview process. I am ready to get this thing underway, and I'm excited to see what the Packers do. I don't think it's going to be as interesting as last spring, and I think we can all thank our lucky stores for that. But it's going to be interesting nonetheless, and thank you for going on this pre-draft journey with me Time to embrace the beautiful mystery of the NFL draft. If you enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed our draft preview process, I would encourage you to share this show with somebody you think would enjoy it because that's going to help us continue to grow this conversation around the Packers and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm going to give another shout out to our Patreon and by extension our Discord server for if you want to get on our pre-draft prediction contest. I would encourage you to do that. Um, That's the way to do it. And we'll be launching that in the Discord tomorrow. In the meantime, I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you after the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft.